This summer, we've been going through this series that we're calling Apprenticing the Master. And uh, we're, we're here, I've, I've already talked about a lot of it, because we believe that it's just so important um, that we can live our lives as functional atheists um, if, it, if the way that we follow Jesus does not include anything about our actual lives. If, if what it means for me to be a Christian and follow Jesus is just to agree with some, some set of facts in my head, um, then there is nothing that is gonna actually get me to live differently. There's nothing that's actually gonna get me to experience the full and abundant life in Christ because the, my rhythms and the ways that I think about things, the way I think about my job and my money and the world and my time and relationships is all just like the culture that I'm living in. It's just the same as people who don't know Christ. It's just the same as people who don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. And so we're recognizing this and saying, we want to actually learn how to practice the life of Jesus because that's what it means to be a disciple is that we are actually a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus. So in the first century, when people would be apprentices of rabbis, they would literally follow them so closely and try to mimic everything about them, the way that they spoke, the way that they taught, the way that they thought about things, the way that they did things. Um, and nothing has changed about what it means to be a disciple of our rabbi or teacher, Jesus, um, since then. It's that we, we are saying this is all of our chips are in. When, when I say that I am a Christian and I'm in Christ, what I'm saying is that there is a new life that is now at work in me and that, that he is my number one goal. He is my number one desire to be with him and be like him. And so um, it is very hard, I would say impossible, to be with and be like and be on this journey and be on mission with Jesus if there is never a practice of any different physical outward embodied manifestations of living his life. It's just simply not possible. And so this, this summer we've taken in this series a different aspect of what it is about Jesus' life and what it is to follow him and sort of broken it down so that we could focus on that for the coming week and just think about this one way to embody what it is to follow Jesus and, and put that literally into practice. And so this week uh, we are talking about simplicity. Uh, what is simplicity? Um, it's, it's to be uncomplicated. It's to be not complex. It's to think about your life instead of being fractured in a million different places to be uh, together and whole and have integrity. Um, and you think about just you know, a picture of simplicity. Uh, somebody I heard recently described Steve Jobs as a, uh, a maximal minimalist. Um, if you know anything about the life of Steve Jobs, you know, apparently his house, I never got to visit, but his house is very <laughs> minimalist. Uh, you go into rooms and the entire room is just one chair and a lamp. Um, obviously, we, even though we weren't bros with Steve, uh, one of the things we know about him is what he always wore was very plain, kind of wore the same thing all the time. Um, and the person who was talking about him said he was a maximal minimalist, which means that he was a minimalist in order to focus on huge things, things that would change the world. And he didn't want his mind to be cluttered with all this trivial stuff, like um, his fashion sense and uh, his home decor and all the things that get in the way of what he felt like his mission was. 
So um, that's kind of what we're talking about. If you think about three of the other uh, areas where we've drilled down on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus this summer, um, this is sort of the triangulation of fasting, realizing that I don't need to actually obey my flesh, every whim of my flesh, even when it comes to food. I, f- I feel hungry. That doesn't mean I need to just hurry up and go find food right now. That there's a way in which I can be, with the, the help of the Holy Spirit, um, not enslaved to my flesh and actually dictate to my flesh what it's going to do. So fasting, solitude, pulling away, getting away from the noise, calming, quieting so I can hear the still small voice of Jesus, building that practice into my life, and generosity, that I don't have to hang on to everything, that actually there's life in giving it away. And so this, this idea of simplicity is kind of a, the triangulation of those three things, fasting and solitude and generosity. And all these, these aspects of following Jesus, they're not um, cut and paste. They're all connected. They're all like one big root system that hangs together. And so what are the, what's the benefit of embracing simplicity? Before we even get into uh, the spiritual theological waters, um, when you just think about the word simplicity, to be uncomplicated, to think about having a life that is more, in, uh, more full of integrity, less like fractured and segmented everywhere, what are the benefits of, of living simply and embracing simplicity? Mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and relational health right? Peace of mind, rest for the body, slowness, rest for the mind, slowness in the right ways of the mind. When I, when I am fractured and my attention is everywhere, then that causes me to hurry and I have to hurry and I have to keep up. And so I'm physically running everywhere. I'm mentally running everywhere. And so in simplicity, there's rest, there's peace, there's wholeness, there's sobriety, from all the things that keep me enslaved, from all the little addictions that I have, whether it's to work or to money or to drugs or to alcohol or to sex or all the demands of the people around me. It allows me to to be in a place where generosity and gratitude can be cultivated. It puts me back in touch with the power or the agency that I have to live in this world that I'm not being dragged around by everybody else, that I'm actually at peace. And from that place of peace, I'm making decisions about my life going forward. Um, one, one way that I got to, a time that I got to experience living simply was I did this, this program called Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School. Um, and I spent a month out in the wilderness in Washington State. And it was amazing. And one of the things that was amazing about it was I got to experience for 30 days how little I actually needed to be okay. Like we, we, lived in tents. We had the food that we needed to make it to the next day. We weren't starving, but we also, um, it was very simple. We ate the same kind of things every day. Uh, we walked, we just were in the beauty of nature. Um, and I know you're sitting here thinking, okay, that's great, but that's not sustainable. But I do believe that there's a principle that is sustainable from that experience, uh, a coming down off of all the addictions of the things that we think we need. Um, so what keeps me from living simply? Um, well, Steve Jobs, for one. <laughs> this man who is a maximal minimalist um, was able to be a maximal minimalist because of all the things that he was convincing us that we needed all the time. He was trying to make us a maximalist. Um, I found this quote this week. This guy, Paul Mazur, was a Harvard-educated uh, partner at Lehman Brothers Bank. 
specializing in the economics of consumption and retailing. And he said this in 1927, think about like the roaring 20s uh, and the way that our economy was shifting then. He said this, we must shift America from a needs culture to a desires culture. We must be trained to desire to want new things even before the old things have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Y'all, that's creepy, right? That's like something you would read in 1984. Not the year, the book. (laughs) And these are the people that are shaping the policies and the practices of our economy. And another uh, economist during that time talked about the new gospel of consumption. And if we just stop and reflect for a moment, we know it very well. We're swimming in it, we're living in it, we're eating it, we're breathing it all the time, but we're not aware of it because we don't stop to think. It's like we're the fish and this is the water and it's hard to to realize that the water is polluted when that's all we know. That's all we do is we swim in this water. Our problem started long before uh, this economist put these words to paper, but it captures what our hearts do. and the way that the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people is at work in the world. Um, he is always at work to make us believe that our desires, whether they're even healthy desires or not, are not desires, but that they're needs. And that I'm demanding those desires be met because I'm demanding that those are my needs and that those needs have to be met. And I'm the arbiter, I'm the decider of whether or not that's a desire or a need. And he is using um, all sorts of, of tactics to reroute our desires. We have desires for a reason. They're healthy and they're meant to lead us to life in Christ. But the enemy is always at work rerouting those desires to say, no, 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 actually what you really desire is this person or this thing or this experience over here. And so Jesus is coming to us in our very, very desperate situation and teaching us and inviting us to live differently. So um, who's reading our scripture this morning? Toby, if you come on up, man. Uh, we are in Matthew, if you want to turn Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Matthew 6, 19 through 33. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, How great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? <clears throat> Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we uh, ask you to come and uh, speak through your living and active word. Uh, I pray that you would apply it to every single heart in this room and the, the very places that we need to hear from you. Lord, that you would speak uniquely to us uh, as a people of what you want for this, this people in this time, but also speak uniquely to every individual in this room. And uh, Lord, for those who do not yet know you, I pray that they would. And for those of us who do know you, would you renew our spirits? Would you give us a deeper hunger for you? Would you open our eyes to see you more clearly and uh, to be completely captivated by you? And uh, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, Jesus starts with sort of a, a, a diagnosis of the situation, of, of reality here, these first few verses. Um, 19 through 21, he's talking about where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Um, in, this, in this economy that he's speaking to these people in, banking was not used very much, and so people would literally store up physical treasures in their home, um, all kinds of different things, and these, of course, were things that would spoil and would rust, and thieves would come and steal them, and vermin would come and eat away at, if it was like an abundance of crops. Uh, moth would, moths would eat at the clothing. And uh, Jesus is saying, when you are storing up for yourself and putting your hope and treasuring these physical goods, um, you believe that you are getting away from anxiety, but you are actually doubling down on anxiety. First uh, Timothy 6, 9 through 10 says this, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. It is into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And when Paul writes this to Timothy, he is echoing Jesus's warning here, is that um, when you treasure these things, these things that do not actually give you life, these things that can be taken away from you, they can be ruined, um, you are putting your heart where your treasure is. And he is saying, I love you, and I, I care about the state of your heart and the health of your heart. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard uh, said this, riches and abundance come clad in sheep's clothing, pretending to be security against anxieties, and then they become the object of anxiety. They secure man against anxieties just about as well as enlisting a wolf to protect sheep. That there is this multiplication of issues when now this thing that I see is this treasure that is, is adding wealth, that is adding security. Now I'm deeply concerned about the well-being of this treasure. Now instead of just me, now I'm worried about me and this treasure. 
and all these other treasures that I have. And it changes the way that I view people. Now people are a threat to my treasure, not people to be loved, people to be protected against. It changes the way I think about God, that um, if, if this is my treasure, then uh, we'll get to this more in a second, but that um, he's just kind of distracting me from keeping my treasure. And Jesus is coming and saying, I care deeply about you. I'm not coming here to kill you. I'm coming here to save you. I'm coming because uh, where your heart is, if your heart is with this worldly treasure, it's gonna be ruined and destroyed and stolen and fractured and never at rest. And I want something different for you. And he never calls us to something that he doesn't do himself first to a greater degree. Jesus was full of joy and he did not have a home. He was completely free. And a place where Christians have made the mistake in the past is um, all this talk about simplicity and where our treasure is, is not about always having less. It's not about some certain amount of poverty because that is its own new prison. That's its own new law. Instead of living in relationship with Jesus, now I'm focused on this law of having, I need to have this much or less. That's not what it's about. It's about trust. It's about relationship. It's about, as Jesus says here, where your heart's treasure is. And so what does it mean to have treasures in heaven? We'll, we'll get there in a second. But his, his second picture of warning to us, the next two verses, verse 22 and 23, um, is this idea that the eye is the lamp of the body. Where my focus is and what I think it means to be okay and what I think I need to be okay is, is like the way that my eyes bring light to my body. It's a way that when you turn on a light in a room, it illuminates everything and that's how you see the room. And so he's saying, if, if what you believe about what you need and how you're going to be okay and where your treasure is and where life is found, if that is off, then your whole life experience is off because it colors and shapes everything. It's, it's kind of the spiritual equivalent if like I'm in a room that is only lit by black light. That's going to really warp and shape my view of the world and my surroundings. Or if I'm in a room that is only lit by a strobe light, like how disoriented I am and how confused I am and how painful that is. And how when you turn on regular lights, now I've gotten so used to what's unhealthy that that's what is um, disorienting. Uh, Richard Foster says, conformity to a sick society is to be sick. And y'all, we, we live in a sick society. <laughs> We don't need to run away and uh, become these aesthetic monks and go live on a mountain somewhere to escape this sick society, but we just need to recognize where we are. We, we need to recognize that we live in a world created by the economists who are, are changing our desires. We, we need to recognize that we live in a world where we are being told that our desires are actually needs and that we don't have what we need. And so, so Jesus is saying, like, how you think about this, how you see this, is going to shape your entire experience of life. I mean, you, you know this from your own experience and from the experience of people around you. When somebody is fixated on one thing, they miss the thousand beautiful things 
because all they can think about is how this one thing is not going well. And y'all, what we have in Christ is an abundance far beyond what we could ever imagine, far beyond what we need. And so when we live like that, when we are hyper fixated on this other thing that is not necessary, um, we are just despising and forgetting and living in blindness to all that we have in Christ, to who he is for us, the fact that he will never leave us, that we will never uh, be without what we need because we have a heavenly father who loves us. It's like, uh, how many of y'all have seen Legends of the Fall? One person. Four people. Five. Okay, do I hear six? Um, okay, go watch it. It's a great movie. But there's a, a scene that's just gut-wrenching where uh, the, the youngest brother, Samuel, is fighting in World War I. And he is uh, a grenade or something goes off, and he is blinded and he can't see. And there's all these, like barbed wire and razor wire fences, and he is running around in panic, and he's getting more and more tangled up behind enemy lines and all this barbed wire, and it's just, it is gut-wrenching to watch this scene play out, but that is a picture of where we go in our blindness. When our eye is bad, it, it catapults us into a life of frenetic activity where we are fractured and we are chasing everything and anything that people around us tell us we need to have to be okay, and we're just, as Paul said in that uh, passage from 1 Timothy, we are piercing ourselves with many pangs unnecessarily because we don't know who we are and we've forgotten whose we are and we've forgotten what we need and that we have those needs met. And then Jesus brings us all to a head in verse 24 when he, he plainly says, you cannot serve two masters. The way we are wired as humans, it's not possible. The way that our hearts work and the desires of our hearts work, if you try to equally serve two masters with everything you have, you will end up despising one because it's getting in the way of you serving the other. And then he just says, you cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve, what he actually says is you cannot serve God and mammon. And that is this, the God of wealth. You, you cannot believe that this these two are your masters and serve them uh, equally or serve the other one at all. And uh, Richard Foster again says, the person who does not seek the kingdom first does not seek it at all. There is no way. <laughs> there is no way to have more than one master. And I'll just say this summer has been a huge blessing for me. As we've gone through this series, it's helped me see. It's helped made my eyes that were <laughs> bad in some ways. It's helped me see clearly. Um, as I've put these practices into my own life, these embodied practices of what it means to follow Jesus and be his disciple, I'm watching as he is shifting my perspective. He is shifting my gaze. He is, he is changing the way that I think about life and my needs and my wants and what is going to bring me life. And I'm experiencing uh, a new freedom in areas um, where I was not previously, I was blind to really the slavery that I was in. And so uh, we just need to take a, take a second here and take stock of our lives. Um, where are we giving ourselves? What are, where, where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my resources? And that's going to reveal to me who my God is um, and what I'm serving and who I'm serving. Um, what is getting in the way? What are we resenting or rejecting because it's getting in the way of what we truly desire and what we're serving with fervor? Um, and I want to just stop here and 
I want to be really careful with this because it's, it's not about the will of me or the will of Midtown West, but the things that we say all the time about how we really believe that we are on mission together, um, that really has to take root. Like this body, like what this body is like and the way that we people experience this body, um, all it is is it is the culmination of every single one of us and how we give ourselves to Jesus and give ourselves to each other or not. That's it. It's not some program that we're going to come up with from up front. It's, it's not some new learning. It's not the fact that, oh, we haven't actually studied this piece of theology, and once we study that and we know that, then everything's going to change. It's, it's a matter of hunger. It's a matter of trust. And so if we're going to experience the Lord doing some really cool things that he said he would be glad to do in our midst, it, it has to start with us taking stock of like, am I serving two masters and really not serving him at all? And Jesus is, is recognizing all of this is building up to the point where it's almost like he can hear us say, but yeah, but, but how are we going to be okay if we think like this? How are we going to be okay if we live like this? And Jesus is saying, fear is so powerful, and you are afraid. He's saying to all of us, you are afraid that you are not going to have what it takes to be okay. You are afraid that God is going to leave you alone and that you are going to have to come up with everything in your own power. And you're afraid that unless you fixate on money or on success or whatever it is, that you will be left in the dust and you will not be okay. And you will be sitting there holding the bag looking like a fool. And so here comes the good news. He's saying, that's not going to happen. Therefore, I tell you, because you're afraid, because these things are all true, that you can't serve two masters, and because I know you're afraid, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Y'all, we have to just stop right here and, and see how deeply the consumer culture has taken root in our lives. Jesus is talking to these people, his followers who originally heard this message, about actual day-to-day -day needs. Like, you're worried that you're not going to have enough to eat. And you're worried that you're not going to have enough liquid to drink. And you're worried that you're not going to have clothes that fit you, that literally cover your body as you go out into the world. And I don't know all of our situations, but I know that 99.9% .9 of us are way past these concerns. Like our culture, you know, not just this body of people, but this city, like we are uh, wealthy. Like we don't have to worry, most of us, about where our next meal is coming from. We don't have to worry, do, do, am I going to own clothes that fit, that are going to cover my body and keep me from being ashamed when I walk out in public? And yet we are still so consumed with worry and so consumed with fear because this, the, the exercise of the economists of the 1920s has worked and it has taken root and we believe that we need so many things that we don't need. So we gotta just start there. And Jesus is saying, um, isn't life more than food and drink? Don't you need more than food and drink to be really alive? 
Aren't you a soul? Don't you have a, a, a heart? Aren't you a, a spiritual being? Don't you need more than just sustenance to keep your physical body alive, to experience what's truly life? And isn't the body more than clothing? Don't you need more than clothes to cover your shame and to make you beautiful? And he's pointing to his love for us. He's pointing to the Father's love for us through him. He's saying, you do. When this body dies, your soul lives on. And life is more than food and drink. It's not about physical sustenance to stay alive in this world. It's about keeping your soul alive. It's about keeping your heart alive. And that's something that you cannot do in your own power. And that's something, that's why I'm here. I've come to do that on your behalf so that you can enjoy what is abundant life in me and with me for all eternity. I'm taking your gaze off of the things of this world and putting it onto me so that you can see where abundant life really is found. And your clothing, man, you're going to need a lot more than clothing to cover your shame because of your sin and all the ways you've rebelled against God and all the ways that you've given the double birds to the one who created you and who's told you how to live. And you've said, I don't need you. I don't care about you. I'm going to live how I decide to live. You need a lot more than clothing to cover that. And you want to be beautiful. You want to be desirable. You're going to need more than clothing for that. You're going to need my beautiful life that I've given on behalf of you so that the great exchange, so that I take your sin and you take my righteousness. And day by day, as I'm working in you, you are learning to live more and more like me. My life is breaking through the cracks of this physical body and is showing that I'm indeed transforming you and I'm making you new and I'm giving you abundant life. He says, y'all, look at the birds. Birds are silly creatures. They are not worth very much in our economy. They are not very smart and provision just shows up for them. They don't farm, they don't set money away, they don't worry about their Roth IRA. They just go, and when they need twigs for their nest and when they need food, they find it because the Heavenly Father has set up this world in such a way that birds get what they need. He says, look even more at the lilies. They can't even move around. They're rooted. They're stuck where they are, and they are beautiful. It's like watching the baptism that we just saw. Like lilies just receive nutrients from the soil and the water that falls on it and the sun that shines on it. They can't go and do anything for themselves. And our Heavenly Father cares so much about them that he wastes such artistry on flowers that are going to fade in just days. How much more is he going to take care of us and clothe us? Because we are of infinite more value to him than these birds and these flowers. And let me tell you all something. This is a powerful thought. In this room are an abundance of resources. In this room is such an abundance of resources that this community will never go hungry times 10 lifetimes. Think about, I just stop and think about that. That if we actually live as Jesus has called us to live, and we bring our needs to one another, and we share with one another, no one will ever have to experience want in this community far beyond 
the lifetime that we're going to be on this earth. And think if I, if I stop and think like, the Lord is going to take care of me, even if I just look at this one place, this body of brothers and sisters that he's invited me to be a part of, like he is going to take care of me. And we have more than enough already for us and for those outside of these walls. Like how that changes our perspective. And that points to what is already ours in Christ, this abundance that's just waiting for us to ask and to receive. So he says, don't be anxious, don't be frantic, don't be afraid. Don't live like people who don't have a heavenly father who loves them and cares for them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Go experience the relationship with this heavenly father who loves you and experience all that is life that you didn't even know existed. And he will take care of your material needs. That's so easy. That's so easy for him. It's nothing. But if we seek those material needs, then we miss everything. If we seek him, we find everything. So uh, at this point, time, I want to ask uh, my brother Andrew Ross to come up and share a little bit about what it's been like for him to follow Jesus in practicing simplicity. Can I sit this right here? I'm tall. <laughs> I'm much more concise when I write, so I'm just going to read. Um, I'm Andrew, by the way, for those who don't know me. Uh, after being carless, jobless, and houseless for a year and a half, the father told me it was time to go to Nashville, a promise he spoke in 2015 to me. In November 2021, I was visiting Nashville for the first time, knowing I was going. I was strapped for cash, but trusting God and taking steps towards here. A little scared. Well, a lot of scared. Sitting at a stoplight, I opened my phone, money I was supposed to get withheld from me. I started panicking, short and fast breaths. Am I gonna have gas to get home? I won't have enough when I get back. I heard the Holy Spirit stop me in my thoughts and say, Andrew, you're imagining your future without me in it. What has simplicity looked like in my own life? It's simply been trust. Trusting that he is with me in every step of the way and more able than I am. All wholehearted and undivided gaze. It's the undoing of do more, be more, get more way. That more will make me happy rather than him satisfying me will make me content. That I cannot give him anything that he hasn't already given, that I cannot impress nor do I need to. That I matter to him first, that he is jealous for me, that the one who made me wants me. That I don't have to go looking for him on mountaintops or in church buildings or platforms or in other countries because he is the one who came to me first. That he became, or that he has been more faithful all along. It's looked like rest from striving to be more because I thought I had to sacrifice more than simply trust him and walk in simple obedience. The father and I had been talking about Abraham bringing Isaac to sacrifice him a few years ago. And I remember the day the father asked me, Andrew, what would have happened if Abraham didn't believe me when I told him it was enough? The, the first time the word worship is used in scripture here, uh, is here and seems to be nothing withheld from God. If I believe he is um, withholding from me, I might believe I'm not held with him, seated with him. 
Uh, it's looked like shelter, him defending me from all the voices that mock, that even when they mock me, when I've poured out a simple offering to Jesus from gratitude for the mercy I've been shown, even with my colored past, he's the one dignifying me, not having to be superhuman in order to be important or loved or matter to God, that I'm not trying to earn my keep to stay in his kingdom, but simply abiding that I'm not a burden to the one who made me, but that the, uh, his serious call back to himself is, I want to care for you, let me care for you. Receive it, give it away freely. That he gave me a seat at his table. Uh, that the lie that he has withheld from me is continually being undone, that I am more content with my portion. Contentment literally meaning held with. It's like the adversary is always flipping the order of things, turning held with into withheld that I don't have to run off and bring things that I don't have to him, but can bring my simple five loaves and two fish, and he can work with anything. So the need to get more to impress isn't part of his kingdom because he's the one who gives increase anyways. Paul states, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, is, uh, but, but the lead up to that verse is one not of superhuman strength or power just gritting through it, but one of leading, because weakness is our honor, not our shame. Uh, John constantly physically leaned on and into Jesus. This is the state of the beloved trusting he loves be, being strong on our behalf. I've had a little and I've had much, either in abundance or in need. I've learned to be content in every circumstance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So to paraphrase, it's not about uh, where we are, but rather who's with us and who's keeping us. To learn I'm held is simplifying every dynamic of my life and allowing me to let go. It's slowing me down, opting me out of the frantic pace that is America for the pace of peace, a steady peace. Because I can only be satisfied once I opt out of the chase. If, uh, if he doesn't satisfy me, I, I have to uh, beg the question, does he lie or am I simply insatiable? A friend told me a few years ago, Andrew, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. The pace of peace leads me by quiet waters and restores my soul. Happy is the man who wants what he has. Thank you, bro. Um, okay, so this week, do we have the slide? Yeah. Think about fasting and feasting, um, building off of last week, but just spending time asking the Holy Spirit to help you see where are the places that I'm like addicted to something. I'm addicted to something I believe is gonna bring me life, um, and how do I put those down? Is it giving something away? Is it throwing something away? Um, and then also feasting, taking time to slow down, to notice all the gifts around you, to practice gratitude, to thank God for um, everything that comes into your awareness of all the ways that he's being faithful to you and to see how that, that changes uh, the way that we live, the way that we see, um, and what we pursue. So I'll call the worship team back up to close us out.